Hey, this is Sailor. Welcome to another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. What's up, guys? Hello, Sailor. What's up? Hello, Matt. Ed, Sailor. How are we? We are great, I think. Can we I speak for you? We are fabulous. Fabuloso. Fan fucking tastic. Mm-hmm. Not tired at all. <laughs> no. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I know it's well. Wait a minute. There's you can't be tired. You, you're like two hours earlier than we. Oh, three hours earlier than Matt. Yeah. So why can't I be tired? You can be <laughs> tired any time of day. Exactly. See. So Funny. you guys. Tell me, please, that you have tricks for getting rid of earwigs. Because the, here's the worst thing. Okay, My one. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> I, when she said tricks, I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> Sorry. And the last thing I was thinking about was earwigs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so earwig infestation. Okay, so it's one thing when you know where the earwig came from. The worst is when it's a song you would never in a million years listen to, and you can't for the life of you. You don't know how it got in your ear. So, oh, you, saw, you mean earworm? Earwigs. I call them earwigs. Who calls them ear? Oh, you Me. do, obviously. I've I call never them heard, earwigs. It's, I yes. believe the common vernacular is earworm. No, it's earwigs. Google okay. it. Somebody no. Google this shit. No. It's earwig. I think I think she's right. I think it's earwigs. It's earwigs. Earwig is a bug. Yeah. Like a, What's a worm? <sighs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Earworm. Def- definition: a catchy song or tune that runs continually through a person's mind. Earwigs. It's Short the same for thing. corn earworm. Same with earwig. Oh, that's the second definition. I think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Live Googling on the air. See, the <laughs> only definition of earwig is about right. the insect. Okay, who gives a shit? Anyway, anyway. here's my point. <laughs> so I have this fucking song stuck in my head. I cannot get it out. And I need it out because all I'm going to say is it's, and I, again, don't even know how I know the person who's singing it sings this song, but it's an Adam Levine song. Somebody help me, please. Interesting. Not interesting. (laughs) Horrifying. You just got to pick a song, listen to it to death, and I did that. I tried that. I've been listening to... Does it have something to do with outdated communication technology? No. I was traveling yesterday, and I feel like I walked into... It was either in the hotel lobby or... In one of the truck stops or something. It was a subliminal thing for sure. Because I haven't been anywhere else where that would be playing. The restaurant wouldn't have been playing that. So I don't know. But I need it out of my head. And and right. listening to other Isn't music. the way it helped. works, man. It's like you listen to a song ad nauseum. And you know the song, but it's not stuck in your head. But you hear a song for 10 seconds or yes. 15 seconds. And it's like, it's, like, it's, been it's always a song you hate. Night. Yes. I would love to know the psychology behind that. I'm going to have to research this. So, or if any so you, listeners know, please. You guys can't help me here. I'm screwed is basically what you're saying. Awesome. Thanks. I'll have to talk to my daughter, the psychology major. Yes, please do. Okay. Yeah. So, you guys, I have been reading articles about the Dio hologram show. And we talked about <sighs> this last year. 
when it was proposed, if you remember, and we talked about Ozzy's comments. Ozzy was basically like, don't fucking make me into a hologram. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the comments are not good. And these are from people who are minimal Dio fans and people who are insane Dio fans. Everybody is just like garbage, total garbage. So I think our assertion was correct. Are we in agreement here that maybe, I, I don't know, that this whole hologram thing is kind of fucking stupid. It's totally fucking stupid, and also I mean, the way can, they can, can we just let it. them live on their laurels and on their on the body of work? Can we just let them right. rest? Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't even sound like I think in my head I was picturing it like it would be like Gem and the Holograms or something. Like it would be like <laughs> like like Princess Leia when she come, you know, well, when they. I put could see why your mind would go there. Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only. Yeah, hope. it's not like that. Apparently, there's this giant screen, and the musicians are like shoved off to the sides. It's just. It, it looks like garbage, I'm told, so well, I don't know. wouldn't you think that when the recorded music was first introduced, people were like that? Why would you want to listen to something recorded when you can listen to the real thing? I don't think so. It's not the sound, I guess. <laughs> no, I think it's really different. I think that people were excited to be able to li- – I mean, imagine that you could not listen to your favorite music. You had to wait to go see them in person, or you had to wait for the radio back then to play it, which there was only radio shows, that would have been amazing to have recorded music. At well, your think display. about it. If you've, there's, you've never had a chance to see, like, Jimi Hendrix or someone perform live, and all of a sudden, if this hologram technology gave you the opportunity to see them perform, wouldn't that be cool? Well, you can watch it on, you can watch the video. What's the fucking difference? Yeah, I don't know, I think it'd be kind of like, cool. It's not what you're thinking. That's the problem. It's apparently still just a screen, and then there they are. <laughs> it's not like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? If it was like a little yeah. shit, like Princess Leia type situation, then I'd be like, okay, maybe that's a little different. A little and different. If yeah. Somehow they program them to react with the interact with the audience and react, you know, react to other musicians on the stage. Okay, so your your uh, problem is more or less with the current state of the technology. Not to say that it it may get to a point in no, the future that it would be cool. No, I still think it's sacrilege. All right. Where does it end? I mean, why does? What's the difference know. between that and listening to a recording? Well, because like then think about it. When would you ever have autonomy over your own body and your own likeness and your own? person your, yourself as a person because then they could do it while you're still alive they're you know like a company could just be like yeah you know ed's <laughs> gonna be performing tomorrow in chicago and you're like no fuck i don't know i'm not <laughs> all right well I, i'm sorry i don't want to take us down a whole rabbit hole here let's 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 bring this show back future episode on on metal yeah. holograms yeah <laughs> metal rock and holograms yeah <laughs> no <laughs> Oh, crap. All right. Uh, let's see. Update. So our beautiful Glen Cairn glasses are being shipped out. Um, some of you will probably already have them in your hands by now. A big, huge thanks to Barrel Raised. Please check them out online. Ben from Barrel Raised 
is super awesome and really helped us out. And we appreciate him so much. Thanks, Ben. And thank you, Ben. He has great yes. products. So make sure you check out Barrel Raised on Instagram and on the interwebs. What are we talking about tonight, Ed? Oh, tonight <clears throat> we are talking about, we're going back a little old school. Well, technically they're <laughs> still around. Right. But the battle we're doing is going old school. We are going back to the beginning of the band Testament, and we will be battling two of their early albums, The New Order versus Practice What You Preach. And this will begin our series on, what are we calling the series, actually? We didn't really define it. Well, the best of the rest, or best of the rest thrash? Best of the rest of Thrash. I like it. Okay. Maybe. Okay. okay. Maybe. Or the other four, as I like to call it. The other Part four. I lo- that. The I like other that. four. The other four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The just as big four. <laughs> so we are also going to make this a two-part episode. As we get into the series, we find that we are just having more fun going down rabbit holes in the conversations. And rather than hand you guys a two-hour podcast every week, we are going to be splitting them up into two parts. So this will be our first attempt, so we will see how that, that goes and how you guys like it. But first, as always, as we always do every week on this show, we drink whiskey. It is metal rock and whiskey. Mm-hmm. And we go around, we talk about what we're drinking. And uh, who wants to start us off? I think Ed should, because... I do think Ed, Ed he's should. He's going to oh, be yeah. doing a brand new tasting. Yes. Oh. Okay. So, uh, as Sailor alluded to i've got a uh, brand new bottle here that i have been saving for this this moment here um i've resisted the urge to taste because it smells really really good i have a bottle of um it's a very beautiful bottle actually i know a lot of people rave about this whiskey just from the fact uh, that it the bottle is so beautiful mm-hmm. i know i keep saying beautiful but it really <laughs> is um it's the willet um as they call it the pot still reserve and the bottle essentially looks like a big uh like a pot it's, still it's yep it's the shape of their pot still either that or some people might say it looks like a genie bottle but i think it looks like a pot still so yeah i'm on the nose it's definitely a bourbon you would not mistake this for anything else it's got those uh that caramel vanilla notes a little bit of spiciness on the back end um so let's give it a taste i happen to love that stuff i haven't had it in quite a while please tell me you're not getting toothpaste no the first the first <laughs> thing i notice is i there's there's the the oakiness 
in there. I can take taste the barrel and the cinnamon. I get a lot of cinnamon in there as well. I'm not a fan of that. So me and Sailor are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I really like it. I, even on the nose, there was a little bit of a funkiness. That's the best way I could describe it. I know I've heard other people use that term, and I've never really understood what it meant. But I guess this is my own interpretation of it, I suppose. But yeah, actually, this is pretty good. First impression is not bad. Little bit of mint. <laughs> little bit of mint. There it is. <laughs> little bit of mint. <laughs> little bit. No, but yeah, it's pretty good. Not my favorite I've ever tasted, but definitely not bad. That's all right. I don't know. This was a gift. I think I've seen, I'm not sure exactly what the price point, I think is in about $40 bottle, something like that. $50? I think it's usually 40 depending on where you are. God, I yeah. can't even say anymore because of where I am. Yeah, I, I'd say for it that ranges. price point, it's yeah, not I mean, bad. Yeah. Some places have it behind the counter, which is astounding it's to ridiculous. me. Because, yeah, because in New but, Jersey, yeah. I had no problem getting it. No, it's yeah. uh, definitely. I'd say you're, you know, it's your standard fair bourbon, solid, nothing mind blowing, but definitely a pleasant drinker. So, yeah, I definitely worth trying if you haven't, in my opinion. Well, I'm glad you like it. So, what do you guys think about it? I think you each said that you've had it before, Matt. You said you're not a fan. I'm not a fan because that funkiness you speak of, that you spoke of, mm-hmm. I kind of got it throughout. So I got it on the nose. I got it on the palate. Okay. Yeah, and it kind of, and I had the bottle for a while, and it was just, it always stayed. So I don't know if I got one of those rare bad bottles or something, but that was it. Plus the cork broke too, so that was a bad experience. What? Yeah, the cork broke and fell in. Have you ever had their rye? I have a bottle, but I have not had it. The three year. Yeah, I've had the. Well, I mean, the ten year is crazy expensive. I've had a dram of it. I thought it was phenomenal. The four-year, I think it's a really good ride. It's very funky. I like funky. I drink a lot of things that are super funky that most people, I don't know why, but I happen to like the funk. I think it's, for me, kind of similar to the reasons I will drink, you know, since I've developed a palate for scotch, like when I want to go for, like, malt whiskey, Mm -hmm. single malts. I think it's the same reason I will pull out that will it pot still because I think single malts have a funk to them. Yeah, there's a funk to them that I really like. I don't know. Yeah, this is the first um, like will it product I've ever tasted, so I really don't have anything else from their line to compare it to. But Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I had the will it rye, but I feel like I can taste that little bit of funkiness in there. But, I mean, this they're both spicy, though. Like, you got that cinnamon right away. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely I, got I the baking the spices way. going on. Yeah, it's spicy. This. I think it has more citrus notes, too. I don't get, you know, super sweetness in that. And I think that might be one reason why a lot of people don't care for it that are big bourbon drinkers. If you really like that or expect that brown sugar and all that sweetness to come in there, that honey. Mm-hmm. I don't. You don't this, get a lot of that in, in the Willet Pot still. No, and opinion. I'm getting, it's, it's more of a, there's bitterness in there, but it's not unpleasant or overwhelming mm-hmm. well maybe i'll have to open my will like next it. week you okay, should about, see if, how about you guys yeah. matt what are you drinking well i'm drinking a new bottle also a bottle i purchased not three and a half hours ago mm. uh and that is the glenfiddich fire and cane oh man yeah which is their experimental series four uh, 
I have one single tear running down my down my <laughs> cheek. I almost bought a bottle of that one time, but passed on it. Oh, I, you have uh, to. You have I to don't buy. Know. It's. I told you guys, it's so good. It is. It's really good. It's really exceptional. Uh, all the hype is real. Mm. Um, it's. It is what it says it is. On you know, it's smoky. It's got peat, and it's got a nice sweet finish. It is as advertised. Um, and it's Highland Peat, which I know Sailor loves. Yes, I do. Highland Peat. Yes. yes, I do. Surprised, but not surprised, I guess, because I know that it hadn't been, been making the rounds a lot on social media. And I know uh, Sailor had some good things to say about it. So digging it right now. Glad I well, picked it up. Phenomenal yeah. job. With, I, I mean, I think anything they touch to me is liquid gold. But that yeah. I was so I was so surprised because when they were describing it before it came out, I was like, what is that going to taste like? It was seemed like such an unusual, I don't know, flavor description, but I fell in love with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just well-balanced and very happy I chose that one. Well, I would love to be saying that I am drinking um, a sample of Blackened, but I'm not. <clears throat> oh, sorry. <clears throat> you mean the one that I have all packed up and ready to go with a label yeah. on it? And, uh-huh. uh, yep, that would yeah. be the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, extenuating circumstances aside, mm-hmm. you will be having that in your glass shortly. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to send out your glass until I get that. How about that? Fair Ooh. enough. Holding fair. Oh, no, Boom. no. I have, I, that, is, that is fair. It has been several, <laughs> several weeks. Weeks? Been it's been months. This. It's been like half a year or more. A year, I half think. Half a year? Come on. Yes. When did you buy that bottle? I really can't remember. <laughs> it's, I think it's been like six months. Anyway. Anyway. Tonight, in my beautiful metal rock and whiskey Glen Cairn glass, I am drinking a dram of Uncle Nearest. Have you guys heard the story? Yes, I have. Yes, at Uncle Nearest. So, mm-hmm. if you haven't heard the story, I highly recommend doing the Googles. They have a beautiful website. Um, I'm drinking the 1856. It's an incredible, incredible story that should have been told a long time ago. I'm so happy it's being told now. Aside from that, I wasn't really sure how it was going to relate to whiskey, the taste of a whiskey. But I have to say that it is much better than I expected. I really, really enjoy it. They are right now contracting as their distillery is just now making their own juice and laying it down. So it'll be quite some time before we have the juice from the distillery itself. But the way it is being distilled, the way it is being managed and looked after, and the process that they are using to filter it, it is a Tennessee whiskey is very unusual and gives it a very distinct flavor for the price point, for the story, and honestly, the bottle performs after your purchase for some pretty amazing causes. I would highly recommend everyone picking up a bottle of this stuff. It's absolutely beautiful. So I'm assuming they use the standard Lincoln County process for Tennessee They do. They do. And then they have additional steps after that. Yes. Okay. So it is, it is a Tennessee whiskey. So are those additional steps like top secret 
or no, they do, and and you can read okay. about it. They ex- they explain it on the site. They have a proprietary process that they explain, which they use a carbon filtration as well. And I think just the way they handle it, so that they feel they are going to have when their juice comes out, what they're laying down, they feel it will be very very similar to what you're drinking now. I think it's very very smart. So Ooh. check out their website. Who are they contracting with? To I don't think they say. Yeah, okay. They have, a, they have a proof yeah. on it. Uh, there is a proof. It, it is it is a barrel proof whiskey. Oh. The yeah the eight it's uh. I did not know that. My bottle's in the other room. I think it's a hundred proof. Yeah, it's hundred proof. Okay. So really, so just fairly low entry proof then. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful flavor. Beautiful bottle. I'm really into it. I'm going to talk a lot more about it very soon. All right. Sounds so good. So stay tuned for that. Looking forward awesome. to hearing that. So I guess it's my turn again to do the whiskey segment, eh? You are the queen of the <laughs> so whiskey segment. So much for my break. <laughs> All right. You do it so well. Oh, so. yeah. You keep saying that. Because it's true. you want me to keep doing it. I know how that works. The, the fans have spoken and mm-hmm. sailor, sailor, sailor. Right. <laughs> nice That's try. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> nice try. All right. Let's do this whiskey segment. Okay, so tonight I have chosen to pair the band of the evening with Booker's Bourbon. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm intrigued. So it's funny because when when I looked at the calendar and saw that we were going to be covering Testament and we had started assigning the whiskey pairings ahead of time, I knew instantly, and I didn't quite know why, but I just was like, Booker's, boom. I don't, and I didn't really know why. And I'm like, I'll figure out why when I get there. So I was thinking about it a couple of days ago and I'm like, why? And then I started, I was like, I need to go back and I'm very familiar with bookers, go back and read about bookers again. And that I remembered why it came to me. Um, so for those of you that aren't familiar with this bourbon, bookers bourbon is barrel strength, small batch bourbon. It's bottled uncut and unfiltered. The focus of the juice inside this bottle is on the sweet spot. Uh, it comes from the center of the rack house where the temperature and humidity stars align to create the deepest and most intense flavors. And that is the case for really any brand. So they age it to what they think is perfection and the age always varies. So Booker No, who this uh, beautiful juice is named after, was a sixth-generation master distiller. And when he retired and passed on his position to his son, Fred, he said, Fred, make sure they don't mess with my Bookers. So the current batch is 124 proof, and it's called the Shiny Barrel Batch. I do not have the current, but I have the previous one. And the one before that. So I don't think the, for me, I don't think the flavor difference is as huge as some people say it is. Um, Every couple of years, you'll get like a 
like a blockbuster, of course, that's going to happen. But the last two years seemed very similar to me. So I'm, I'm curious to try this one. So here's the origin of the name, the shiny barrel batch. So and this comes uh, from Fred. So back in the day, some of the distilleries rack house workers would carry around mules which were plastic uh, pieces of plastic tubing, and they carried that in front of their overalls, and they used them to thief out a taste of whiskey, or two, or three, straight from the barrel. Some of these men had, he says, shall we say, prominent physiques. So when they went in for, <laughs> when they went in for a taste, their bellies would rub on the side of the barrel, removing dust and shining it up. <laughs> so some would say the shinier the barrel, the sweeter the whiskey. And most often, his dad would find these shiny barrels in the center cut of the rack house where the temperature and humidity, like I said previously, were just right. So when his dad was ready to lay down the first barrels of bourbon that would eventually bear his name, he knew it had to be the same rack house location as the shiny barrels because that's where the good stuff was. While the days of meals are long gone, they still age Booker's bourbon in the middle floors of their rack houses to uphold his dad's high standard for his namesake whiskey. This stuff is big, capital B-I-G. It is hot, capital H-O-T. It is is powerful. It is a lot, a whole lot going on in one small sip. This is not a whiskey you want to go for if you are new to drinking whiskey. Would you say this is basically Beam's um, stag? Oh, no. This is bigger, yeah, hotter, bigger. and really? a whole lot more. It's, oh, tough yeah. to, it's tough for me to drink without. Yeah. So A lot of water. Here's, here's, we'll get to that. Yeah. So there's a whole lot going on in one small sip. And honestly, it's often a forgotten bottle by everyday bourbon drinkers and overlooked by newbies and misunderstood even by faithful whiskey lovers. I believe you can say the same for Testament. They were a big sound when they came out. There was a whole lot going on in one song, in one sound. And they were misunderstood at times, even by metalheads, and certainly by critics and the media. However, if you could sit a metalhead down and explain, this is their origin, this is their terroir, so to speak, all of a sudden the doors began to unlock. Metallica, Exodus, Megadeth, Overkill, Slayer anthrax the listener began to understand and hear something different they would hear them in the relation in relation to their origins because a connection had been formed this band had no apologies for their sound and style just like this juice fredno says they don't apologize for the unfiltered and uncut big flavor when i approach bourbon lovers with bookers and they say oh that's too hot for me i can't handle it i can't drink that stuff or I can only have one dram. I remind them of the chemistry that made the liquid in the bottle and the chemistry that is happening in the glass. We add a little water and we roll the liquid around in the glass. We add an ice cube or two, and again, we roll the liquid, liquid around in the glass. All of a sudden, the heat begins to dissipate. Vanilla and caramel begins to waft up the nose. Brown sugar follows. The bite is replaced by the flavors of vanilla bean, spice, walnuts, and peanut butter. And then there's that deep, rich, spiced fruit and caramel corn finish. It lingers for a long, long time and really makes this juice unforgettable. Much like the early sounds of Testament, unforgettable. 
and the legacy of Booker No and his indelible mark on American whiskey, Testament has earned its rightful place in the history and foundation of American thrash metal. And that's why I chose to put these two guys together. And that's why you're doing another whiskey segment. Because that was awesome. <laughs> now I really I really got to get out and try some Booker's. That's something I've never had before. So I will say this about Booker's. For me, a bottle goes a long way because I'm cutting it myself. And frankly, this is how we used to drink whiskey before we had laws, TTB laws. You know, barrel entry proof, bottling proof, all of that stuff. You would get whatever proof it was and you would most likely cut it, whether you were drinking it in the afternoon or giving it to little Johnny, you know, uh, well, it's just like table wine in other countries, very, very low proof alcohol, um, table beer, same thing. So I think that's kind of cool that you can treat it like, you know, whiskey from the days gone by. So I know now exactly how much I cut mine and I always add an ice cube. As a matter of fact, on the bottle, they suggest to drink it over ice or add a little water to it. And they're correct. The nice thing is that you get to put it in the exact place where you want it. That I like. So if you like a little more heat, you can back off on that water and ice. If you like less heat, you add a little more. So you kind of get to design this juice exactly how your palate prefers it. And I think that's a really cool experience. I would say let this breathe for the first time you drink it. So, Ed, when you go out and get some, let it sit in the glass. Like, pour it as soon as you get home from work, have dinner, whatever, come back to it, and then start adding your ice and your water. And, you know, use use a little bit of water on the side and just keep adding drops until you feel like, okay, it's in the perfect place. That's exactly where I want, where I want it to be. Now, don't you have to be kind of careful with that? Because I know I've heard from sources that sometimes when you add water it can actually crank up the heat a little bit initially if you feel like it's cranking up the heat it's because you have all of those alcohol vapors are being pushed out because all of the oils are coming to the top of that liquid so you're going to let it sit and rest okay, for a little that's while why as that rusting comes into play yes mm-hmm. you, you want to let it rest so i mean you don't add water and then drink it right away you want to add that water. I use a measuring cup at first. And so now I know if I pour, I measure out my bookers, let's say I do two ounces of bookers. I know I'm exactly how much water to add to it. Always use purified water, please, whether it's from a Brita pitcher or distilled water. Um, You don't want to add junk into it that these whiskey makers work so hard to keep out of their of their whiskey. And then I I like to add a little ice to it as well. Usually I'll do a large cube so that I can keep adding more to it, and that cube isn't actually diluting it because I've already done that with the water. I'm just taking that temperature level down just a little bit. I've actually seen um, some people chip ice into it as they drink it. That's actually really smart, too. Um, So you kind of do your own thing with it. It's also, I think Booker's is great for the summertime because if you want to add ginger ale to it, you don't have to, I mean, that's that you don't do anything. Add ice and ginger ale, boom. Perfect the, outdoor drink. The next thing I was going to bring up, it sounds like it would be a great in either just like um, a highball or some kind of a cocktail. Yes. Uh, but I'm sure with that flavor would just kind of really stand out in the in a bourbon. If, if it's as big and bold as you describe, it sounds like it would be perfect for that. 
Oh yeah, it'll kick it'll kick the hell out of everything else that oh, it's yeah. that it's mixed with or blended with in a cocktail for sure. So it's a great cocktail whiskey. Um, I I would still go with a low low component cocktail because you you really you don't want to mess too much with the flavors. But mm-hmm. yeah, ginger ale, you know, a little soda water and a and a couple dashes of bitters is is a great way to go. You know, one of my favorite master distillers, Jimmy Russell, his favorite go-to drink in the summertime is a little ginger ale with his wild turkey. So, and he's he used to talk about him and Booker sitting out on the front porch in their rocking chairs drinking each other's whiskey with <laughs> with ginger ale <laughs> or a little ginger beer. And I just think that's the most adorable little <laughs> little <laughs> scene little ever. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So that is your whiskey pairing for the night. Well done. Excellent. Well, thank you. And now let's talk a little bit about liquid death. Hey, guys. I want to tell you about my new friends, liquid death. Did you know that the average aluminum can contains over 70% recycled material and the average plastic bottle contains only 3%? Aluminum is actually infinitely recyclable. I didn't know that, but it's true. Uh, Cool fact, all of the aluminum produced since 1888, over 75% of it is still in current use. That's just nuts. When plastic bottles are recycled, the plastic is such low quality that it can't be made into new bottles. That's dumb. The material is usually sold to China to make cheap carpets and textiles, and a lot of that ends up in landfills. Sadly, if plastic production isn't curbed, plastic pollution will outweigh fish pound per pound by 2050. So we should all be murdering our thirst with 100% mountain water from the Alps. And that's exactly what liquid death does. But how does it work, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Our proprietary thirst murdering, says liquid death, process begins with forming a rope of veins that will wrap around your thirst's head and strangle it. Once liquid death reaches your thirst brain, all of your thirst memories will be replaced with repeating loops of its own head imploding. Damn. Which is exactly what happens next by causing your thirst head to implode and its brain to squirt out of its ears. I mean, that sounds like it would work. So a little bit about the company. It was a handful of people that started liquid death with the diabolical plan to completely obliterate bottled water marketing cliches by taking the world's healthiest beverage, mountain water, and making it just as funny and stupid and entertaining as the unhealthy brands across energy drinks, soda, and beer. Also, plastic water bottles are a complete shift, but aluminum cans are far and away the most sustainable beverage container by virtually every measure. So, my friends, let me tell you, we all need to start murdering our thirst with liquid death mountain water. It is 100% mountain water from the Alps, truly, not like what is in most of those um, water bottles. It's usually tap water or who knows what. Um, And the cans are freaking cool, and the name is freaking cool, and it's a really awesome cause. I mean, if it's just so easy to grab this aluminum can instead of a plastic bottle, and we're still going to have healthy oceans for our kids and grandkids, then do it. So hashtag death to plastic. And uh, you can find more about Liquid Death on our Instagram page and in our Facebook group. And we thank them for their support of the Metal Rockin' Whiskey Show. Okay. You know, next week I want to discuss with you guys plastic. 
because Ivan, I really got educated after coming into contact with liquid death. So I want to discuss that a little bit. I've been making some changes around my household and um, it's really kind of opened my eyes. Oh, you know what? It's certainly, an eye, it's certainly been an eye opener. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I would actually say the same thing myself. It, it surprises me that you say that because personally, I've been thinking about it as well. You know, because I think it was, they pointed out an article on voice.com talking about the big plastic lie about how little plastic you can actually recycle. gets recycled. Exactly. Which Super it was disturbing. crazy. And you look around your house, you Dude. think about how much plastic stuff you dispose of every day. This it's, is exactly what nuts. I want to talk about yeah, next yeah. week. I did an inventory and it blew my motherfucking mind. So, yeah, let's talk about this next week for sure. Sure. But before that, let's get into the backstory of Testament. All right. Testament, the band, was formed in 1982 in San Francisco by guitarist Eric Peterson and his cousin, vocalist and guitarist Derek Ramirez. The band adopted the name Legacy. Not long after forming, Peterson and Ramirez recruited bassist Greg Christian and drummer Mike Ronchette. And uh, <laughs> the changes would thus continue. Uh, departures and arrivals, yada, yada, yada. We've seen this before, yes. Oh, yeah. Many times. Uh, many times. So the band <laughs> recruited, eventually, lead guitarist Alex uh, Skolnick, yes. a Padawan of Joe Satriani, so he could focus on vocals. However, he eventually went on his way and was replaced by Steve Souza. With this lineup, the band released a short demo in 85, Mike Ronchette left shortly after that and was replaced by Louis Clementi on drums. Souza then left the band to join Exodus <laughs> and was replaced by Chuck Billy on lead vocals at Souza's own suggestion. Ay, ay, ay. I'm getting dizzy. <laughs> are, we, uh, are you keeping up, listeners? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so at this time is when they had to change their name from legacy to testament because and get this the name legacy was already trademarked by an r&b band but not just any r&b band a hotel <laughs> r&b cover band that was already broken up and let me tell you i have tried like so hell to ever. find this band i tried so fucking hard i did all the googles i could think of i'm gonna have to recruit a teenager because i think i'm pretty good at google stalking dude i cannot but come on a hotel r&b cover band that was already broken up like why didn't they just fucking roll the dice yeah i know i can see ever. having to change your name from davy jones because there's already a big pop star Right. out there but this story just kind of it's hilarious <laughs> a hotel band anyway don't you guys think it's interesting and i guess this is coming off of our last um series that thrash was never called like san fran thrash or the bay area sound like the seattle sound right it's literally where thrash comes american thrash comes from like almost uh -huh. every american thrash band save a couple came from the bay area I want. I find that interesting. Like, doesn't? Yeah. Where's yeah, that? I did find that very interesting myself when I I heard they were another Bay Area band. I'm like, oh, well, mm -hmm. that's really not surprising. But I I agree with obviously with the exception of Overkill, who's East Coast, and Anthrax, and Anthrax, and you know I think Megaforce, 
I think they were an East Coast based. Yeah, but they were had mostly yeah. West Coast bands on their label. Yeah. Um, and Johnny like, Z, Johnny Z, who was label label head for Megaforce, was East Coast also. But um, you know, there's some East Coast roots, but yeah, I mean, not enough to. It's not specifically not call it Bay, Bay Area. Yeah. 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 But, you know, the Seattle sound was the Seattle sound. Like, okay, whatever. I don't know. All right. So after all those lineup changes and a name <laughs> change, Testament released their first album in April of 1987 on Megaforce Records, appropriately titled The Legacy. <laughs> it so really they got was. Legacy in there. They got Legacy <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It really was at this time the band started to make a name for themselves in the Bay Area thrash metal scene, actually drawing comparisons to their much more famous brother, Metallica. So they actually managed to increase their nationwide and worldwide exposure by touring with other thrash metal bands Anthrax in support of the album and even opened for fellow Megaforce powerhouses Overkill and Megadeth. Now, that's a show that I would love to see. Uh, even, to, yeah. even, to, even today. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even today. Yeah. They can all still bring it. So, just like Sub Pop, as we discussed at ad nauseum for weeks and weeks with our 90s alt rock and grunge series, being like the incubator for all yeah. these bands, yeah. I, I think, I mean, Megaforce, I think, deserves to be in that conversation also. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, where the freak would we yeah. be? The show wouldn't exist without the Megaforce Records. The show, this, this, podcast, this podcast would not exist, exist yeah. without Megaforce Records. Because I doubt Metallica would exist. I think they would have imploded. I don't know if they would have had the direct. I don't know. It's 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 hard to speculate. You know, I mean, some things will work out regardless, but it certainly wouldn't be the scene we have today. It, oh, yeah. No. No. I mean, Anthrax, Metallica, Overkill, SOD, Ministry. Crazy, Crazy. to think. So, as we move on into 1988, Testament releases their second album, The New Order, in May. The album achieved minor success, actually peaking at number 136 on the Billboard 200. Subsequently, the band would move on to tour with many big names through 88, including Megadeth, Overkill, Iron Maiden, Anthrax, David Lee Roth, and even our good friends Kiss. I need a puking can you imagine button that, that show? I can press. <laughs> can you imagine Kiss with Testament? Get the what you, the fuck? Get or the David fuck out Lee of Roth? Here. Was I'm just trying to Testament. imagine David Lee Roth in with this group of bands. Well, we've talked about odd, how but... metal was kind of metal back then. I mean, we've discussed yeah. this that I think it would have seemed a lot less freaky than it does now, but <laughs> still kiss like fuck them oh we invented uh we invented testament 
We were we were the one that that got them on the scene. Sit down, Gene. Could just Fuck you, Gene could just see David Lee Roth singing like just a gigolo, like before Testament. <laughs> I'm like, just like, a Testament, gigolo. Testament's like, who the fuck is this yeah. guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh great! God. Now that song is gonna be stuck in my head. <laughs> there you go. At least I got the other one out for you. <laughs> All right. I so anyway, got nobody. <laughs> the that band. Music, that music video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good, <laughs> but so fucking that shit does not age well. It does not. No. That whole remember what was the what was the, it wasn't a was it a movie? Yeah, remember it had that and California Girls on it. Yeah, and it starts out with him in that in the convenience store, and there's like this crazy pregnant lady, and then he comes in like with the what was he supposed to be like a Brazilian native or something. Like, no, you're you know thinking of the cover of Eat em and Smile. No, no, no. It was. I used to watch it. I used to get high and watch it over and over and over. It was like a little mini. <laughs> when I was a teenager, it was like a little mini. Like little mini. You know how they used to do that? These little mini videotapes yeah. with like a collection of. And he was like, give me a shit. Give me a something. To go, or so, oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, you know but it incorporated it, it incorporated both the songs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. California Girls, uh, God damn it! Now that's gonna drive me crazy. Right, we'll find okay. the link. We're going in. We're going off a of fucking. I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna find out. All we'll right. Post, we'll post the link. Okay. Reeling it back. <laughs> um, One of those nights. Nice. Anyway, the band <laughs> Testament that we're oh, talking about. Oh yeah, that's about. what we're talking about. <laughs> Um, they headed directly back into the studio, and the result was 1989's Preach What You Practice. The other <laughs> album we'll be battling. Matt, you're such an asshole. Wait a minute. Oh. I think it's the other way around. Practice what you preach. It's practice what you preach. Yes. <laughs> that was me, but Matt <laughs> caught it and left it there for you. <laughs> nice. I want to see if you caught it. And you I did. I prefer that, though. Preach what you practice. I actually prefer that. Sentiment. Yeah, All right. So anyway, this album was released in August, and um, as their third album, it was somewhat of a departure as far as the uh, the thematics and lyrical content went, uh, moving away from more of the the occult tropes and goth themes to uh, real life issues such as politics and corruption, sounding a lot like Megadeth. Mm-hmm. The album actually outperformed uh, The New Order, the other album, and reached number 77 on the Billboard 200. The title track saw a ton of airplay on MTV's Headbangers Ball, and the band subsequently went back on the road in support of the album. So, October 1990 comes around. They are releasing their fourth studio album, Souls of Black. Um, but the album was not received as favorably as their previous releases. Um, their sales were pretty good. I think their sales were good for this album because they were so known at the time, because they were so well established and this music was still really relevant. And they were also touring. They, they were touring machines. They, I mean, I, I feel like I remember back then any time there was a metal band or a thrash band and they're like they were opening for them. <laughs> like and how, they were on me, every show possible. Let me ask you a very interesting question here too. How much of that success 
do you think had to do with Megadeth's Rust in Peace? Oh, I which think, I think which I think was released a month before this. I think that their success, I think all of their success has to do with everybody else's success in my opinion. Yeah. So I would say absolutely. Like I said, that this was very relevant at the time. You were really in the super like 89 I think would be the super sweet spot for thrash, I guess. Cuz you're yeah. ending your then it wanes. It's like it blew up in 89 and then starts to wane 91, 92. You're you're way on your out. So I, so I feel like they're like at the top of their game right now. Plus, they're touring like crazy. And that's going to affect your sales dramatically. Well, back then especially. Other than MTV, it's the only... It's really how you found out about bands. So they toured with Judas Priest. And on their Painkiller tour, like, that is massive exposure. Oh, yeah. Slayer on their Seasons in the Abyss tour. Megadeth, like you said... And Anthrax again. The, I mean, their their tours were they were not on little tours. It was fucking nuts, and their sound is so is so on par with the bands that they're touring with. You know, they could do Megadeth, they could do Anthrax perfectly. So I think they had that going for them as well. And like many of those other bands, they also toured Japan and played shows with Anthrax and Sepultura. Uh, Shortly after completing the Souls of Black tour, the band released their first VHS documentary, Scene Between the Lines, containing live clips recorded during the Souls of Black World tour, four promotional music videos, and video interview segments. So real quick, I just want to say something about touring with Sepultura at the time. (laughs) You, if you're doing tours with Sepultura outside of this country, you are being exposed most likely to 20 times the amount of human bodies that you are here. I don't know if you guys and the listeners have ever seen videos of some of these historic shows that Sepultura did back in these days. Holy shit. Like, insane. Like, bonkers stuff. Again, it's all about exposure. Back then, that was your mega exposure, and they just worked really, really hard. Okay, this video, this VHS documentary, did you guys watch it? Have you seen it? I've not no, seen I, it. I didn't run across that one. So <laughs> I watched it. I watched it again this week in preparation. It's on YouTube. I had this video. I feel like, well, just like the David Lee Roth videotape i was talking about i feel like when other kids were buying ghostbusters or weird science and collecting like you know cannonball run and shit like that i was collecting these videos like i had cliff them all i had this one i like i because they were all the bands would put these things out mm-hmm. and god the production is terrible like oh, yeah. it's so so bad so anyway They, by 1992, they're attempting to reconnect with their audience. And, you know, everybody feels like metal audiences are being distracted by grunge and the new Seattle sound and all of that shit. 
Um, and they release the ritual in 92. And Sailor, you know, it was such a stylistic move away from thrash. Huge. To a slower, really slightly more traditional heavy metal sound. You know, the album and I've heard I think it, it was smart though. I think that was a smart move. It was a honestly. smart it was a smart it was a smart move. It sounds weird to me, like when I listen to it compared to their previous albums. It just doesn't it's just I don't know. I, I understand the choice that they made to do that, but at the same time it's it's just it doesn't sound like them. But the, the ritual peaked at fifty five on the Billboard Hot One Hundred, the band's highest chart position at the time, actually. See? And well, the time, yeah. And the power ballad returned to Serenity managed to receive receive extensive radio play. Yeah, See, you bring I up, think that that's I think that was a smart move. Yeah, you bring up the ritual and before we knew what albums we were battling, I basically went on Spotify and started listening to um just random testament songs and the ritual came up and I'm like, what's different? Do they have a different singer or something? What's going on here? I was like, it's a totally different sound. So I see see what you're coming from. It was still good. I still dug it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, stylistically, it was quite a departure. Well, I mean, everybody was doing this at the time. You know, our friends Metallica. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yep. I can think of a lot of bands that were making this change at the time. So it wasn't that unusual. I'm not saying that I like all of the bands that did that, but I think, you know, they were attempting to read their audience and pay attention. And I think that's smart, you know. I don't know what would have happened if they would have continued to keep playing what uh, they were playing. Well, Metallica, I I think, in Testament's defense, I think Metallica's was way more extreme. Oh, way more. Way more extreme. I mean, they're playing blues rock. Yeah, Yeah. they just (laughs) got lazy and turned to garbage that's totally different So anyway, yeah, despite selling more than 485,000 copies in the U.S., the album uh, never achieved gold certification. So um, they toured to support the Ritual album through Europe and North America, and they were headlining their own tours at this time, as well as opening for metal stalwarts such as Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. Yeah, and unfortunately, tensions within the band continued, and the next decade saw changes again. Um, There was, you know, it was in addition to that change of pace in their musical style. Their lead guitarist, um, Skolnick, left shortly after a concert on Halloween in 1992, and then three months later, um, drummer Louis Clemente left. And the consensus seems to be that the band just couldn't decide on a direction musically to go in. And I think that you're going to find that as a thread as we are in this series and the other thrash and very heavy bands at the time. The early to mid-90s spelled a lot of confusion for these bands. Um, I think you had to decide, well, we're going to keep playing the same exact music we're playing and just do it for ourselves and have fun. But if you wanted to be successful, you were going to have to change your style. So in 1993, we get Skolnick and Clemente, who were 
as they left the band and were tempor- temporarily replaced by forbidden members Glenn Alvilas and Paul Bostaff, who we've talked about before on the show, oh, respectively. Yep. This lineup released the 1993 live EP, Return to the Apocalyptic City. Soon after, uh, Alvilas quit the band and Paul Bostaff, of course, departed to join Slayer. Uh, then in October of 94, they released the album Low, which fe- featured John Tempesta. 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 On Tempesta. <laughs> Tempesta. <laughs> on drums. And guitarist James Murphy, formerly of Death and Obituary. Uh, Low was a diverse <laughs> was a diverse album. Imagine telling your mom, hi mom, yeah, things are going great. So I joined this band called Death. Uh-huh. You know, fast forward. Hey, mom, how's it going? Yeah, Death broke up and I'm in this band called Obituary now. <laughs> oh, honey, that's great. You know, hi mom, how you doing? Oh yeah, so I'm I'm that band. You know, I left and now I'm in this band called Testament. Well, sounds like you're getting closer to God. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but it's not the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. (laughs) Some kind of testament. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, Low was a Low was a diverse album to say the least, yeah. and remaining fans reacted favorably to Lowe, uh, although it did little to expand Testament's fan base, unfortunately. But now we're getting into the mid-90s here, so yeah. not yeah. really a surprise. Yeah. So yep. earlier fans, however, you know, fans of Old Testament, um, <laughs> viewed Testament's move away from the mainstream as a liberation that allowed them to expand artistically, not being pressured by sales and success as they once were. But as things go in metal bands, more lineup change would come. Tempesta left after the recording of the album, being replaced by John Dett for the following tour. Um, John Dett departed the band in 95 during the 94 to 96 tour. I find that the names are also getting more bland as we go along. (laughs) It's like, yeah. You went from Tempesta to Dett. And it's like James Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of Clemente. Yeah, Clemente. So I think we're going to stop here with their origin story. I think this puts us in the right place where we want to be, you know, for those of you that aren't super familiar with Testament to get an idea of, you know, how they started and where they were at, especially in relation to the two albums we're going to battle. You know, they made several more albums after where we're going to stop this uh, story and they had more lineup changes. And for their current status, it has been confirmed that Testament has begun their new album. Uh, Actually, pre-production began in May. This will be their 12th studio album, by the way. And um, their current lineup has Eric Peterson, Skolnick is back, lead vocalist Chuck Billy, drummer Gene Hoglund, and bassist Steve DiGiorgio. Right now, I'm going to say that that is the end of our first part of our discussion on Testament. And next week, we will be back with The Battle and Blood Will Be Shed. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. 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 But as always, listeners, thank you for sticking around. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this discussion. We hope you come back next week. There's a lot more on Testament we have to cover. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, as always, at Twitter. Metal Rock Twitter. As always, Tempesta. As <laughs> always, at Metal Rock Whiskey. And we also have a super cool Facebook group 
under the name Spirit of Rock Podcast Network. And follow us individually. You can find me at the Whiskey Obsessor. That is Whiskey Save the E. Till Jenny took it. Till Jenny took it. <laughs> but she's saving it for me for a rainy day. <laughs> I see. Okay. <laughs> is it in that trunk of the car? <laughs> I really don't know where it is. <laughs> I'm Sailor Retro. You can find me all over the internet. And <laughs> they can find me on Instagram at Bourbon Geek. And um, hey, listeners, if you love us or even just like us, please, we ask, hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast app and give us a review. It really does matter. And I mean, it does matter. You know, we hear us say that, but we really mean it. Yeah, and like of course, 10 puppies die every time you don't hit that <laughs> review button. <laughs> or kitties, if you're into that. Save the puppies. <laughs> and of course, tune in next week for another episode of Metal Rock and Whiskey. Later, everyone. Fuck you, Gene Simmons. Yeah.